to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone phone. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training in Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Norma, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Coping with the Stresses of Caregiving When Your Loved One Has Chronic Lymphocytic Leukemia, or CLL. And today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and the CLL Society, and we are delighted to be working with them on this program today. And actually, on all of our CLL-related programs, we always uh, partner with the CLL Society. It brings greater depth and scope and reach to the programs, and so we've really been um, delighted to be working with them. And you'll be hearing more from Patty Kaufman from the CLL Society during the program as well. Now, today's program is actually supported by a charitable contribution from Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. I want to thank them for their support. Also, we have many, program, many people on the program today, many of you. Um, there are over 207 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Canada, Egypt, Japan, and the UK. So it's a bit of a global call as well. And we're delighted to have all of you on the call today. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, the best of the best. And I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Lindsay Roker. Dr. Roker is Hematology Medical Oncology Fellow, Department of Medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And to set the stage, Dr. Roker will be discussing an overview of CLL in the context of COVID-19, caring for your loved one with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, and your important role in decision-making. And it's now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Roker. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Thank you to Cancer Care for having me today. And thank you to all of you for joining us. You're joining this call today as a testament to your incredible commitment to your loved ones, and I want to commend you and thank you. Um, we'll start with an overview of CLL. So CLL is a cancer of a type of white blood cell called a B cell. And the normal B cells in our body are a part of our immune system. They start in our bone marrow, go into the blood, and then take up residence either in a lymph node or in the spleen. And they help our body fight off infection by kind of watching for intruders going by. And if they find something, then they activate the immune response so that our bodies are able to fight off infections. CLL cells do two things that um, normal B cells don't do. The first is that they make copies of themselves. And the second is that they don't die after a normal lifespan. And the consequence of those two things, which are um, due to changes in the genetics in the cells, is that they build up. So they build up in the lymph nodes or in the blood so that when patients have um, their blood checked, their white blood cell count can be high. They can build up in the lymph nodes and spleen, leading to swelling in the lymph nodes or in the spleen. Um, and those are often the symptoms or the signs that lead people to be diagnosed. They have a routine um, blood count that shows a high white blood cell count, or um, on a physical exam, they find enlargement of the lymph nodes or on the spleen. Um, with a smaller 
proportion of patients really being symptomatic at the time that they're diagnosed. CLL is the most common leukemia in the United States. About 20,000 cases are, are diagnosed in the United States each year. And the median age at diagnosis is 70. And we know that CLL is a heterogeneous disease. So for some people, it's an indolent or slow-growing um, cancer. And for some, it tends to be more aggressive. And we know that there are genetic features of the disease that can help us understand the disease biology, including what therapeutic options are. Um, so that genetic workup is often part of the initial evaluation of CLL. When we are thinking about CLL, we know that there are criteria that help us decide when a patient needs to be treated. The reason being that in the absence of a symptom being caused by CLL, we know that treating earlier doesn't help patients live better or live longer. So for that reason, we wait until we have one of these criteria to help us understand when we should um, start therapy. Two of them are found on the CBC. So the first is hemoglobin, um, which when that's low, that is called anemia. Sometimes patients can develop symptoms like shortness of breath or fatigue. Um, lightheadedness or, or some chest pressure. The second is low platelets. Often platelets don't get so low as to cause symptoms, but if those are going down um, on, a, on a blood count, that can be an indication that therapy needs to be initiated. The next is um, bigger bothersome lymph nodes. So lymph nodes can either be um, bothersome because patients don't like how they look or feel, or they can be in an inconvenient spot. So in our belly, lots of um, there are lots of tubes that drain our liver, drain our kidneys, and if the lymph nodes are in um, too close to those tubes, they can actually block them off and, and cause issues. If that's the case, we often find those abnormalities in blood work as well. The, the fourth um, criteria that we think about is a big spleen. So the spleen and the stomach share real estate within the belly. If the spleen becomes enlarged, often people feel um, a sensation of fullness in their abdomen, or they can describe taking a couple of bites and really having their appetite decreased um, because the stomach is being constricted down by the spleen. And then the last is the most subjective, but the reason that we see people um, frequently or regularly during a period of active observation, and that's symptoms. So fevers or chills, night sweats where patients are waking up drenched and having to change their pajamas, um, weight loss without trying, or fatigue um, that is limiting activity. And fatigue is a complicated symptom because there are so many things that cause fatigue. So often when people, patients are um, feeling fatigue, if that's the only symptom, we look for other causes as well because we know that treating CLL, if CLL isn't the cause of the fatigue, really doesn't help the problem. Um, if patients are symptomatic, meaning they meet one of those criteria, we often talk about starting therapy. And CLL is a cancer that used to be treated with chemotherapy, but now is really a disease treated with targeted agents. So pill-based therapies that um, are taken in a variety of different ways, and we'll chat about that a bit, but um, are typically pretty well tolerated and um, very effective in the treatment of CLL. I also want to um, frame this conversation in the setting of the current COVID-19 pandemic. We know that CLL patients are um, what we call immunocompromised. So that means that they have an increased risk of infection. 
And prior to um, this whole COVID-19 pandemic arising, we knew that that was um, something that our CLL patients dealt with. This isn't just a COVID-19 specific issue. Um, patients are at increased risk for pneumonias and, and other infections. But we think that that immunocompromised state likely um, has extended so that patients might be at an increased risk of uh, contracting COVID-19. Really, in the midst of all of this, we our experience is evolving. So there is not a ton of data available to guide our recommendations on what CLL patients should be doing at this time. But um, I would encourage all of you to talk to your physicians and your healthcare teams because they know your area best and can um, provide the most tailored advice for where you live. For instance, for our patients in New York City, we know that um, the risk of contracting COVID-19 in the community is pretty high. So we've been recommending that our patients with CLL avoid, um, avoid going out as much as possible and take a conservative approach when reopening occurs. So um, I would encourage you to talk to your healthcare teams because they really are the experts and know your area best. Next, I want to talk, talk a bit about caring for your loved one. And we were discussing this um, just before the call, but your role as a caregiver really may evolve as um, your loved one lives with CLL. So often for CLL, there's a period of active observation in the, in the beginning, and that's um, a time where patients are often feeling entirely well and um, just going to the doctor three or four times a year for blood work and, and a check-in. And at that point, often the role of a caregiver is one of emotional support. There is certainly some anxiety associated with this period of active observation. Um, I see it in my patients all the time that um, the idea of living with a new diagnosis, especially if you're not receiving any therapy for it can be quite anxiety producing. And I think in that period, being supportive and then also working with your loved ones to help them live a life that is as close to normal as possible, um, even with this diagnosis, is really, um, uh, really critical and really um, an important task. During that period of watching and waiting, there are also some practical considerations. So um, we recommend that all patients with CLL stay up to date on their age-appropriate cancer screening, as well as their vaccines. And helping um, your loved ones just make sure that they're staying on top of all of that can be a very helpful thing, um, particularly if uh, your loved one is um, the type that doesn't necessarily want to go see their primary doctor or um, those kind of things. Once patients enter into a period of treatment, there's certainly a role in helping with decision-making, both in frontline, meaning first CLL-directed therapy, and relapsed settings, meaning the subsequent therapies, there are different therapeutic options. For some of the therapies, they're continuous, where you take a pill once a day um, for as long as it's working, whereas other therapies are time-limited, so they might require a bit more investment in um, time with IV therapies or closer monitoring um, in the beginning, but with the idea that you only have to be on treatment for a, a discrete period of time. And talking to your loved one about, you know, what fits better with their lifestyle and helping to um, 
consider other medical conditions or side effects that might be more or less tolerable are all really important things to help your uh, loved one think through. There's also the consideration of clinical trials, which does come up um, occasionally. And for some patients, having um, a loved one to talk to about the feasibility of enrolling in a clinical trial or whether that's um, a good fit is, is certainly of value. And then the last thing I'll touch on is the practical support of being a, care, a caregiver when patients are receiving therapy. So for some, this might, this might mean helping patients to remember their daily medications or setting up a system where they're able to remember. Um, for some, it might mean accompanying them to appointments or for therapies that are IV therapies, often we need to give medications like Benadryl, which can cause um, some fatigue or sleepiness. So even being there to um, drive patients back and forth from their appointments can be really helpful. And then for some of the therapies that um, we used for CLL, um, specifically stem cell transplant or CAR-T therapy, those can be much more involved procedures and require a lot more um, support from a caregiver. So I think part of the caregiver um, experience is understanding that it will be fluid and evolve as, as your um, loved one's um, disease changes and evolves. And as a caregiver, you play an incredibly important role, both emotionally and physically, and um, also have a really important role with decision-making. So as I said, I really want to commend you for um, doing all you can to be educated about your role, and um, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Roker. That was really outstanding. and. Really a phenomenal presentation, frankly, um, and really covered both CLL and also issues of the caregivers and how their important role. So I, I want to thank you very much. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. And Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman is going to address taking on the role of caregiving in the context of COVID-19 and social distancing, tips on preparing for telehealth, telemedicine appointments with your healthcare team, including long-distance caregivers, and your role in adherence, weekends, holidays, and vacations. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Well, thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you for everybody who is participating in this call. Uh, those of you who are uh, familiar with uh, the kinds of, of telehealth, uh, cancer care teleconferences that have been done, see that a number are done um, really uh, focused on caregivers. But the information in this one is a little bit different than what we would suggest for uh, caregivers of patients with other kinds of cancer. Um, because of what you just heard about um, a sometimes very lengthy period of time in which somebody is aware that they have um, CLL, but they're not being treated, often the things that need to be done during that time fall to the patient and the caregivers, uh, meaning uh, keeping track of appointments, uh, making sure that blood tests are done at the same time. But that's the minor part of it. The major part of it is self-care. 
and that care involves a lot of the things that we often think of as just personal everyday care, but are even more important in CLL because um, we do believe that they help uh, increase overall general health status. We believe that it supports a strong immune function and reaction to things. So the kinds of things that we think of as just plain personal when it comes to CLL with a patient who is, has not begun formal treatment or is in the middle of treatments becomes ever more important. And uh, I like to think of these things as a sort of a three-legged stool, that good nutrition, activity, and uh, restorative and restful sleep um, are the three pillars of how someone can uh, really focus on the things that they can do during a time where they're waiting to see if they'll need treatment or when. That's all in the background of these unusual times during our COVID-19 epidemic because just about all of those three activities um, needs um, intimate contact from a caregiver, um, whether it's uh, sharing of food that's made uh, for a family at home uh, or getting food from an outside source, whether it's exercise. Um, some people do it with trainers. Some people do it with videos. Some people will take walks. Uh, but figuring out how to do that in these times when we're asked to shelter in place becomes ever more um, a little bit puzzling and ever more difficult. And when it comes to, uh, so that's nutrition, that's uh, activity, and when it comes to good relaxation and sleep, we hear that everybody feels that they're at odds with the situation now. And um, pretty much um, people uh, who are not dealing with, uh, with cancer or those who are say that their sleep is interrupted, they don't have a sense of rest or a sense of calm because of all the things and the uncertainty that's happening in the world during this current pandemic. So those three pillars of school for good health are all affected by the pandemic. The additional factors um, are, are uh, that don't have as much access to your providers as you did before. Telehealth is new to many of us, both providers and patients. It seems somewhat remote. Um, obviously, there's a limit to the kinds of things that the providers can do as far as physical exam, but there is a multitude of things that can be done in effective telehealth calls, uh, audio only or audio and visual. So um, this, this then brings all new challenges to caregivers, scheduling these calls, figuring out how to use the online platforms if you're trying to do it on a computer or on a tablet. Um, many, as you heard, CLL is a um, cancer that's more common in older people, and many of us older people, and I'm blessed to be amongst that group, um, are not as familiar with some of the online platforms, whether it's a my chart that's built in from the facility where you're getting treatment, or it's Zoom, or even using FaceTime, or um, GoToMeeting, or um, web, web webinar uh, uh, software. Um, getting that's sometimes a real um, challenge for folks who aren't used to doing that stuff all the time. But telehealth appointments can be very effective. They do require a lot of preparation, maybe even more preparation than an in-person uh, in visit. Um, 
what I uh, will ask patients before an initial telehealth uh, call is to provide or get together a number of things that they may not think about before. I really have a list of exactly what medicines you're taking, the exact name. Uh, the generic names are often long. They sound chemical and complicated, but they're helpful. Uh, they're very helpful to us because some of the drugs are available in generic form, but not all of them. In this way, we, we know what form you're getting. The exact dose, how many times a day it's been prescribed, and how many times of the day the medication is actually taken. Uh, before... Uh, a first visit, we'd also like to know about things like smoking, alcohol use, a real estimate of alcohol use, saying someone a drink socially doesn't quite make it in, in our world when we're trying to um, assess cancer risk. We really want to know exactly what and how much because that does make a difference in how your body absorbs uh, and digests a lot of foods and especially a lot of chemotherapy and immunotherapy drugs. Um, in addition to that, uh, any drugs that you're taking, but especially over-the-counter medications, um, things that you think are incidental, things that you bought at the health food store, things that seem okay um, and may be a little embarrassed to tell us because uh, many people believe that mainstream medicine doesn't accept some of these treatments. We need to know. We really need to know to make sure that they mix well with everything else that you're taking and are going to suggest. Um, in addition, for a first visit, information about your family background, specifically your blood relatives, because uh, people who marry into a family or uh, if someone is adopted doesn't have the same meaning as a blood relative here, specifically about cancer history. Um, anyone else in your family has had cancer that you know of, especially when it comes to uh, CLL or other kinds of leukemia. Um, if you know somebody in your family has had that, if you can figure out who that is, um, and maybe a relative can, will know what type of leukemia, that is extremely helpful information for us. So getting all this together in advance is a really good idea. Uh, test driving the platform or the that you'll be using is a good idea. Making sure that the, the devices are charged is a good idea. Even if you're using a landline with a, um, a regular cordless phone, not a cell phone, making sure that's charged. I've been on hold for many times with places where um, the, I believe the phone was fully charged and just as I'm about to be uh, called up by customer service, the battery dies. <laughs> I can't get through and I have to start again. So putting all those things in place is a greater stress, kinds of things that um, you really don't think of before going into an in-person visit. Also, the name of your pharmacy and the exact location. Um, some of us uh, live in places where there are many pharmacies, and knowing that the, the pharmacy uses part of a large chain could mean that that prescription is sent to the wrong branch of that chain, causing lots of uh, disruption and lots of aggravation and lots of back and forth calls and delays in getting uh, your, your medication. Um, the other kinds of things that you need to think about are the schedule at which you're asked to take medicines, if medicines are uh, part of the treatment at, um, at, at the time of the inter interaction. Um, it's hard to keep track of medicines. It's really hard for people who are doing caregiving at a distance. 
Um, and uh, there are a bunch of electronic reminders that are built into our phones uh, and a number of other computer-based things, telephone-based systems that can really help us figure out how we're keeping uh, we're keeping um, um, how we're able able to keep uh, charge of this from a distance uh, and, and far away. So think that electronics are your friend and learn how to use them. Reach out to people in your community, um, whether it's in the uh, senior centers or um, in your uh, churches. Uh, they don't necessarily have to come over, but a lot of this information and education can be gotten by telephone. Uh, so that you can use these devices when you have your telehealth visits. Um, the, uh, the question about weekends uh, is a somewhat complicated one. Um, I think it, virtually every practice that I know of um, has a, a message or a phone mail tree uh, which says, you know, if this is an emergency, press one. Many of them these days are awfully scary. And they say, if this is an emergency, dial 911 and go to your local emergency room. That may not be the best idea if you have COVID symptoms. That may not be the best idea if you have cancer. And it certainly may not be the best idea if you have, have CLL and you're thinking that you may have COVID too. So getting in touch with the, the provider on call is essential. Um, and the kinds of things that can be done remotely are, can be very helpful and avoid emergency room visits at a time when emergency room distance, uh, visits aren't good. Um, a little bit uh, about social distancing and how hard it is to care for someone when you're asked to stay six feet apart. That's often extremely difficult, verging on the impossible. Uh, but having a, a face mask Washing hands all day, all day, <laughs> all day, can't stress that enough. Um, and um, if necessary, having some protective equipment uh, similar to a hospital gown, but maybe not hospital gown grade, if you're not able to get it, those are being used by the hospitals, are really important in order to maintain everybody's safety. It is much more difficult to be a caregiver these days and certainly during these particular times. Um, I think there, there are a number of other issues about caregiving from far away and if you're living in another city, but I think these issues are the most important to the overlap of uh, COVID-19 pandemic that we're living through and the unique aspects of CLL that aren't quite shared with some of the other solid tumors. So I will stop here and turn this back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That, too, was phenomenal. A wonderful presentation. And actually, I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Uh, such an important topic um, in terms of the whole role of caregiving during this time and, and also telemedicine, understanding and explaining to people a little bit more about what telemedicine is, what it involves, how to prepare for it. So thank you so much. Thanks. And our next speaker is Ms. Sharon Flynn. And uh, Ms. Flynn is an oncology social worker, and she is nurse practitioner, nursing research and translational science, clinical center nursing department, National Institutes of Health clinical research center. 
Now, Ms. Flynn is going to be addressing coping with each day on special occasions, anniversaries, and birthdays, managing family, friends, and traditions with social distancing, another challenge, and self-care tips, most important, for managing stress. It's my great privilege and I'm very happy uh, to um, present to you um, next as my esteemed colleague, Ms. Sharon Flynn. Great. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be on the call today. Now, I'm not a social worker. I aspire to be a social worker. My mom um, is a social worker, so uh, I went a different path. I'm a nurse practitioner, but I am just so happy to be on the call today. I want to take the opportunity to warmly welcome all of the participants who are on this call. You recognize the important role caregivers play in the role of your loved one's cancer management and I applaud you for finding out more information on this important topic. As Dr. Messner said, I'm gonna share with you some self-care tips to get through the day-to-day -day management in this um, new world of caregiving and even newer world of COVID-19. And so let's start by talking about special occasions, anniversaries, and birthdays. Um, they're usually a time when we gather together as a group and celebrate the milestones with family and friends, either at someone's house or at a restaurant. It may include a gift exchange, usually includes hugs and well wishes. And just because we're not able to gather together at a restaurant or someone's house doesn't mean that we just skip the celebration. Acknowledging milestones in life are important. And you may be wondering how can I celebrate when I have so many other things on my mind and we're not able to get together um, all together in the same room? And so I have a couple tips for you. The first one is there's no right way to celebrate. We know in these difficult times that we've got to modify what we previously thought was the, the way that we celebrated that event. Um, so we have to be creative. Um, maybe we used to go swimming or we played uh, football in the backyard as part of that um, birthday celebration or holiday tradition. Um, and it might be hard now to think about celebrating a birthday without getting together um, around a big birthday cake and blowing out candles. And so now's the time to start new traditions and to think of celebrating in a different way. We might have to substitute that um, family football game with a virtual board game or singing um, a favorite family song on a family uh, conference call. And that reminds me of birthday celebrations. Um, we might have to move the computer or tablet um, into uh, a platform where everybody's able to call in and see that loved one blow out the candles. They might not be in the room, but we can still celebrate um, these milestones. We can focus on what's important to your loved one and how to incorporate the love and support of families and friends into that holiday um, or other uh, celebration. And we start by respecting your loved one's decisions. Um, remember that their experience is unique to them and without their input, too many phone calls or activities could be overwhelming. Talk with your loved one about your feelings too and um, how you both can reflect on what the celebration means to you. What's important and who's important? Um, you can create lasting memories filled with love and compassion 
by respecting each other's decisions and coming to together with a compromise. And that leads me to communication with friends and family. They often don't understand what pressures you have on you during a typical day in your life. Help them to understand by telling them what you need help with. It definitely can be hard to ask and receive help. Try to remember that others are grateful for this opportunity to do something for you. You can make it easier for them when you are clear about what you need. Use technology to communicate what help you need. If you are feeling guilty about receiving help, remember that you can give back to others later when things are more stable in your life and you have more time. When I was faced with a serious health crisis, I found it helpful to have a spokesperson communicate updates to family and friends. For me, my spokesperson was a dear friend of mine and not my caregiver. My husband, who is my caregiver, was overwhelmed with the day-to-day busyness of caregiving and was happy to turn over communication to a dear friend. My friend did a great job of fielding phone calls and questions, and now I offer this as a tip to other caregivers. Ask your healthcare provider about specific medical concerns that might impact your ability to celebrate. Your medical team can suggest ways your loved one can be more fully able to participate in the celebration, whether they're at home or in the hospital. If you have certain holiday traditions that involve fasting or eating meals at designated times, be sure to let your healthcare provider know this. It might not be safe to fast while you are receiving treatment for your CLL, or if you have diabetes or high blood pressure. Your healthcare team would be happy to work with you so that you are able to fully participate in a manner that is safe with you, for you, and with your treatment. And finally, staying positive and finding inspiration. As a cancer fighter, survivor, and caregiver, we know these are all tough jobs. Staying positive can make a big difference. And some tips for staying positive include simple things like finding a motivational song that brings a, or a fun song that brings a smile to your face every time you hear it. You might write a motivational saying on an index card. Or maybe you have a, a, a several pictures of special moments in your life, maybe a wedding or a birthday, um, different celebrations that bring a smile to your life and inspire you to continue on. Look at these pictures and quotes when you're feeling tired or overwhelmed. Play that song that reminds you of the hope you can have for yourself. Sometimes all you need is a simple, you can do this because I know that you can. And so some self-care tips for managing the stress for caregivers. First of all, set aside time for yourself. Setting aside time doesn't mean you're going to the grocery store or you're standing in line to pick up a prescription. I want to encourage you to go for a walk, play your favorite songs, dance along, work on your hobby, read a book, watch a movie from beginning to end without interruption. Maybe you're calling a friend or using um, a media platform so that you can see your friend to have that conversation. Think of things that you enjoy um, that relieve stress and anxiety that are specific to you. 
Give yourself permission to smile, to laugh, to have fun. You as the caregiver are very important. And just as Dr. Fleischman said, going back to the basics to find balance in your life. Are you exercising or walking? In quarantine, it becomes harder to find that motivation, but I want you to challenge yourself, to push yourself, to get up, to get moving. Um, It will make you feel better. And how are you sleeping? I strive for six to eight hours of sleep a night, but the only way I can do that is if I turn off the news and media coverage hours before I want to go to sleep. Trying to find that sleep routine that's best for you is, is most helpful. And what does your diet look like? During the first few weeks of this quarantine, I relied on my standard comfort foods of macaroni and cheese, lasagna, and ice cream. And I definitely did not feel my best. I didn't want to get up and move, but as I slowly went back to my normal diet filled with fruits and vegetables, I was feeling much better and finding that motivation to get up and moving. The basics of walking, moving, sleeping, and eating are even more important during times of stress when you might be out of your normal routine. And don't forget to keep up with your own doctor's appointments. It's easy to forget about yourself. When you're taking care of someone with cancer, it doesn't mean that you ignore your own medical needs and focus only on your loved one's needs. Make sure that you are keeping your regular medical checkups and staying on track of your medication schedule and recommended cancer screenings such as mammograms and colonoscopies. COVID-19 doesn't mean that we get to take a year off from cancer screenings and taking our own medications. It means that like our loved ones, we need to switch to telehealth visits and keep track of our medication renewals and reschedule cancer screenings for a later time in 2020. Sometimes keeping a journal or finding some other outlet for your feelings is helpful. This doesn't have to be a paper and pen journal. It can be an electronic journal on your laptop, tablet, or phone. Journaling is a great technique to help us process our feelings. You might be worried that the cancer treatment isn't working. Maybe you're worried about your current financial status. Maybe you're worried about your job. A journal can help get those feelings onto paper, and no one has to read them. They are private to you. Maybe journaling just isn't for you. Maybe you're better at expressing your feelings through photography or drawing, painting, knitting, gardening, creating music. There's all sorts of ways to express those feelings, and I encourage you to do so. Also consider looking into counseling services. Everyone needs someone to talk to, and this is especially important when you're going through a stressful period of caregiving. Sometimes caregivers feel like they need to protect or shield their loved ones from stress, anxiety, worry, and a sense of doom. Talking to a professional counselor, such as a social worker, can help relieve some of those stresses of caregiving. Give yourself permission to talk out your individual needs, questions, and concerns. Feeling emotionally fit can help you with the stress of caregiving. And there are support groups. Support groups have changed over the years. Um, and now in the, the, ter- in the um, COVID-19, we can't gather together face-to-face, but there are many other platforms in order for support groups to meet. 
Um, sometimes they meet over the phone, sometimes it's through video platforms, and sometimes it's through online groups where people can post 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Most hospitals have support groups and they're moving them to new platforms, not just for patients, but for caregivers too. And ask for help. In our American culture, we like to think that we can do everything by ourselves and that asking for help is a sign of weakness. And this simply is not true. We need everyone's help, starting with the medical team and ending with maybe the postman asking for help. If the medical team can do anything to assist you, please don't hesitate to ask them. Maybe you're trying to work from home and take care of your loved one. Ask, about, um, ask if you can have an appointment at the beginning of the day or the last one of the day to help accommodate your work schedule. Sometimes you're able to um, uh, uh, have a weekend appointment or a treatment appointment that's at an alternate time that works better for your work schedule. Don't hesitate to ask. Everyone is different, um, and unless we know what your needs are, we can't reach out to help you. So, so throw us a lifeline to help you. And remember to ask your neighbors, friends, and, ex and extended family members to help you. They really want to help you, but aren't sure how to approach it. It helps to have a running list of items that you can assign them, such as going to the grocery store, mowing the lawn, preparing a meal on treatment days, or even reading a story over the phone. In the time of COVID-19, we have to find creative solutions. And I have an example. I have a friend who plays games um, online like Monopoly and Battleship with her father. And they do this via a, com a computer app. In this way, um, my, my friend is able to allow um, her mother a time so that she can take a nap every other day um, to help. She's the, the primary caregiver, so she's able to rest. And she knows that her father is um, is in safe hands because they're actively playing a game together. Caregiving can be an exhausting process on both the body and the mind. So by taking care of yourself first, you are able to help take care of others. And are you feeling depressed? Are you maybe still in a state of shock from the cancer diagnosis? We know that this can affect the caregiving experience. You might be tempted to skip a dose of your own medication or a medical appointment or picking up a prescription refill and thinking that it doesn't matter. Well, I'm here to tell you that you are worth fighting for and that it does matter. Support is here. Please reach out to us. And finally, I'd like to wrap up by doing a quick breathing exercise. So if you aren't already sitting down, I'm gonna have you sit down in a comfortable chair with your feet on the floor and your hands relaxed in your lap. If this isn't comfortable for you, then, then please find a position that's comfortable for you. And I'm gonna have you think of a location that makes you happy. This could be a, sitting at the beach. It could be standing next to a mountain. Maybe you're swinging um, on a swing hanging from a tree. Or maybe you're sitting at a park bench. Think about this happy place and I'm gonna have you close your eyes. Imagine the vivid colors all around you. What sounds do you hear? 
Are there birds chirping in the background? Are there waves crashing on the beach? Is there an ice cream truck ringing a bell? Try and feel the sunlight on your skin. Imagine a gentle breeze coming through. And now I'm going to have you take a series of deep breaths. And so I'm going to tell you first what we're going to do. We're going to take a deep breath in. We're going to hold it for a couple seconds, and then we're going to exhale. But when you're inhaling and holding and exhaling, I want you to have a smile on your face. So first we're going to, take a, we're going to have a smile on our face, and we're going to take a deep, big inhale in. And we're going to hold it for a second or two, whatever's comfortable, and then exhale and have that big smile on your face. And we're going to do that two more times. So I'm going to have you inhale, hold, and exhale. Okay, we're still at our favorite location, and we still have a smile on our face, and we're going to do this one more time. Big inhale in. Hold your breath and exhale. And keep that smile on your face and gently open your eyes and lean into that experience of being calm. This is a simple breathing exercise that you can do anywhere, anytime. You don't have to be sitting down or with your eyes closed. Um, but I hope it brings you a sense of calm. And for our caregivers, most importantly, you are not alone. There are networks like Cancer Care to provide support for both the patient with CLL and the caregiver during this often difficult journey. Today's phone conference is just one of many resources available to you. Remember, you can do this. Thank you for inviting me to be on this important call today. I wish you all the very best and look forward to your questions and caregiving tips you have to share with the group on this call. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Flynn. That was really outstanding. Um, just really phenomenal as well, and such a wonderful um, way to conclude with a breathing exercise that people can incorporate um, in just all the tips that you provided. Um, so we do look forward to the q and I know there will be questions for you as well. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for enhancing the call. And our next speaker is Ms. Uh, Patricia Kaufman. Ms. Kaufman is the is co-founder and communications director for the CLL Society, and she will be discussing CLL Society free programs and services, as well as the CLL Society expert access program. Um, and it's really my great pleasure to um, to be working with uh, Ms. Kaufman on this program. Um, as I said, uh, they uh, the CLL Society has been a partner with us on every CLL program that we've done over the past many years. So it's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Patricia Kaufman. Thank you, Carolyn. Hi, everyone. It's really great to be here with Drs. Roker and Fleshman, RN Sharon Flynn, and Cancer Care's own Carolyn Messler, Messner, and to be a part of another Cancer Care webinar and to have the opportunity to highlight some of the CLL Society's flagship programs. I want you to know that first and foremost, I am a caregiver. I'm the caregiver of Dr. Brian Kaufman, and therefore, for all of you caregivers listening, I have great empathy for the impact that a loved one's diagnosis has on the caregiver and the family. 
In 2021, the CLL Society will be doing its part to bring better visibility to the needs and the great accomplishments of the vital caregiving segment of our CLL community. Who we are. You may know that the CLL Society is a CLL-specific nonprofit. We are laser-focused on meeting the unmet needs of CLL patients and their caregivers. Our website provides tools enabling you to advocate for the best possible care for your CLL and to develop a deep knowledge of the CLL treatment landscape and to bring you into a community where having CLL is a normal part of everyday life. All of our services are free. Like many, commu- like many outreach organizations, we developed offerings with regard to COVID-19. For a deep dive into the wealth of information about COVID-19 as it affects our CLL community, please visit the archived editions of our three COVID-19 virtual community meetings. They are available on our website at clllsociety.org. Patient questions were the primary focus of our COVID-19 community meetings and were addressed by panelists consisting of expert CLL hematologist, an infectious disease specialist, a lab scientist, and a pharmacist. These are all available on our website under archived activities. They can be found under our support and education drop-down menu. I want you to know that despite the relaxing of restrictions in some locations, Brian and I continue to model shelter in place. We believe that all CLL patients are immunocompromised and should be cautious. For the newly diagnosed, all of the CLL Society's webinars are archived. And I would especially like to point out that if you are newly diagnosed, A great starting point in order to get your bearings would be to spend one hour watching the archived version of our recent webinar titled, Just Diagnosed? What do I need to know? This was presented with um, Dr. Neil Kay of the Mayo Clinic, Rochester. Support groups. Our 35-plus CLL-specific support groups have transitioned their monthly meetings to online meetings using the Zoom platform. If you are not already a member of one of our CLL-specific support groups, please come to our website and register for one near you. Although we meet online, our groups are organized geographically, so join our robust community today. Test before treat. Did you know that there are critical tests which can predict which patients will do well on or fail certain CLL treatments? Often these tests are either not being done or they are being done and the results are being ignored and patients may still receive inappropriate therapies. These critical tests should inform each and every treatment decision. So we advise you to be proactive. Download our Test Before Treat One pager, print it out, and take it to your next appointment online or in-person appointment and discuss it with your healthcare provider. The Expert Access Program. The CLL Society's Expert Access Program um, is available to you if you are not in the care of a CLL expert. And we would like to invite you to apply for an expert second opinion through our Expert Access Program. 
Research shows that there is a proven survival advantage to being in the care of a CLL expert. Expert Access is a free service designed to provide those with a CLL diagnosis who are not seeing a CLL expert an opportunity to spend 30 minutes in a no-cost, HIPAA-compliant, online, face-to-face -face consultation with a CLL expert. The expert will, will assess your CLL-related medical records and address your three most pressing questions. Our telemedicine partner will help you retrieve your CLL records to familiar, familiarize the expert with your case in advance of the consult and then will help you to formulate your three most pressing questions. A written summary of the online second opinion consultation will provide you with talking points to take back to and share with your current healthcare provider. The CLL Society's Expert Access Program will serve 150 patients this year, so sign up sooner rather than later. This program is finite. You may be wondering if you qualify. Well, do you qualify? The answer is yes, if you have a diagnosis of CLL, if you live in the United States, and if you are not currently in the care of a CLL expert. This program is not based on financial need. It's based on whether or not you are in the care of a CLL expert. And as I said before, it is absolutely free. The CLL Society has in addition to its website, two online publications. The first, our quarterly newsletter, the CLL Tribune, features original articles contributed by patients, caregivers, and healthcare providers, as well as regular columns entitled, Ask the CLL Expert, Ask the Pharmacist, and Ask the Laboratory Scientist. The occasional poem, work of art, song, etc., will also appear in future issues. If you have any of these original works of art, please contact us. And last but not least, please note that we update the CLL Society website approximately three times a week. We sum up dynamic developments in our community and report important news in our weekly alerts, which are published every Tuesday. Please. Sign up to receive our alerts and stay in the know. Smart patients get smart care. Don't be a stranger. This is your community, and the CLL Society is here to help. Back to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Coffin. That was wonderful, and what a wonderful resource. It's phenomenal for everybody on this call today. If you aren't already uh, connected to the CLL Society, please do contact them, use their website, www.clsociety.org. And I should tell all of you that at the end of the program uh, today, actually probably next week, you'll be getting an evaluation form. But it's not just an evaluation form. It will include any um, of the resources that we've mentioned during the program and even additional resources that we think would be useful to you. But the CLL Society is high on our list of, of, of obviously places to go. It's the only um, organization, nonprofit that actually focuses specifically on CLL. So it's just a wonderful organization. Um, we're going to take questions in just a minute. I just want to say a few words about cancer care briefly, and then we're going to um, move on to your questions. So start to prepare your questions uh, for us, some of you have already sent them in already. Um, so Cancer Care does offer, it's a national organization, and does offer free emotional, social, practical, and financial assistance. 
all the service available to all of you on the call, except that financial assistance is restricted to people in the United States. And we also have a copay foundation also for people in the United States. Nevertheless, if you do have uh, issues and concerns, you can either call our Hopeline or you can go to Cancer Care's website and post your question, no matter where you live in the world, and we will try to help direct you to a resource in your community. Now, as, uh, as has been mentioned throughout the call, we do have a variety of services, um, including individual counseling on the telephone or online, as well as online support groups. And those are things that many of you find very helpful. They're free, and they're all moderated by a professional oncology social worker. And of course, we have these programs as well. And now we're going to move on and take your questions. We're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. So I'm going to ask that, um, uh, that Norma bring all of our speakers on board and also explain to you how to queue up for questions. Norma? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then one on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And there's a question for Dr. Roker to start with from our online participants. Dr. Roker, I read that people with CLL have a higher risk of getting a second cancer. Can you explain why or is this true? Yes, yeah, so the, um, the risk of second cancers is thought to be sort of for the same reason that patients are at increased risk of infection. So we know that there's some change in the immune system that leads the body to be less efficient in um, watching out for cancer cells elsewhere. So for that reason, the, the increased risk we know um, is certainly there with skin cancers. So both non-melanoma skin cancers as well as melanoma. So we ask all of our um, CLL patients to establish care with a dermatologist and see them at least once a year for a full skin check with the idea that catching things earlier um, is certainly better for skin cancers. We also ask that patients stay up to date on all of their age-appropriate cancer screening. So this doesn't mean that anything um, extra needs to be done, but when colonoscopies are due or when um, breast imaging is due or pap smears, we just ask that patients be um, vigilant about about having that screening done. And the, the results about the um, risk of solid tumors have really been mixed. Some studies have shown that there is an increased risk. Some have said maybe that risk is less significant. But in any case, we do recommend that people just be very vigilant with the things that they should be doing anyway, um, even if they didn't have CLL. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and a question from Ms. Flynn. Um, how can I make sh uh, sure my father is taking his medicines on time? Are there things I can do to remind him and what might they be? Uh, what a great question. Thank you for that question. And so um, knowing whether your loved one is taking their medication on time um, is a challenge. And so there's lots of strategies out there, um, starting with a diary and having the different days of the week along with the different times of the day that um, the person is supposed to take that medication. And so when they take that medication, they, they check it off, they put a line through that time that tells them, yes, I've taken this medication. 
Now, sometimes that doesn't always work. Um, we have the best intentions of doing that, and it it falls down. Um, we I've asked um, some of my patients to set the alarm on their phone so that it reminds them at different times of the day, oh, it's 4 o'clock, I've got to take that medication, um, and my alarm went off, um, and I'm able to, that, that's a great reminder to me. Um, if it's just once a day, maybe you want to call your dad and say, hey, dad, it's noontime. Did you take that medication with food? Um, of course, that's probably not reasonable if he needs to take several medications throughout the day. Um, other things that have helped um, are doing a pill count. Um, and so um, putting medications that they need to take maybe in a Ziploc bag for the day. So um, if it's one pill at 8 a.m., one pill at noon, and, one, and two pills at 4 p.m., um, putting those medications in a Ziploc bag at different times during the day with the time on them. And so if they see an empty bag, they realize, oh, okay, I've taken that medication for the day. Now, I do have some teenagers, and um, I have them, uh, some teenagers, um, not with CLL, but with um, other types of cancer. And so I actually will have them um, send their parent or to me um, a picture of them taking the medication. The picture is time-stamped so that I know that they actually took their medication at that time. Um, so lots of strategies are out there. There are even pill bottles that have timers on them um, versus using a phone timer that might be helpful, too. Oh, Thank you for your question. Great question and great, great responses as well. And the question for Dr. Fleischman. My mother has CLL. Um, she tends to be a warrior, um, and, and uh, her daughter usually goes with her to appointments. However, um, we're not going to the doctor as before. Um, um, and so the question is, there's a lot of questions. And could you then explain a little bit to them more about the telehealth um, and the uh, telemedicine appointments that, that might be very useful to them at this point? Sure. Um, a lot of these concerns could be hands uh, handled on a telehealth call. Telehealth is a sort of an overarching concept is that we're not in the same room at the same time. And although that limits what uh, can happen through physical exam, all the other things that we do, listening, speaking, clarifying, recommending, uh, those kinds of things are perfect for a telehealth visit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some telehealth visits are uh, are video with audio, and those are sometimes done on a hospital's or practice's website, where um, they will have a video and audio link to your telephone or tablet or um, laptop or desktop computer at home. Some telehealth visits are done through um, the same kinds of uh, things that we could use to visit our families remotely, like FaceTime on an Apple phone. I'm not sure what the parallel uh, program is on an Android. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to give commercials. Um, or um, in uh, a more general platform like Skype. Um, these are, were not used until the current COVID-19 epidemic because they're not as secure as the ones that are done through your hospitals or offices practices. Those are secure and what's called encrypted. Uh, no one can get in. They've 
much more secure. And a lot of personal information is discussed. You wouldn't want somebody being able to come in. Um, but with uh, the current difficulties, the uh, privacy and confidentiality rules have been relaxed so that things like FaceTime or Skype or even Zoom can legally be used, whether it's the best platform or not, is a subject between you and your provider's office. But all of the things that will help answer questions about actual risk and, more importantly, things that can be done and should be done as far as the uh, self-care techniques that the doctor's office can't do for you even when there isn't a COVID-19 pandemic, which would include the proper nutrition, the proper activity, and the proper rest and sleep, all can be covered on a, a telehealth visit. Oh, thank you so much. And actually, this is also a great time for the long-distance caregiver to actually, if the person is talking to their mom or a family member and they're living half around the country, or they also can set up a telehealth visit with the person, with the doctor, and actually, same, what as Dr. Fleischman has said, same applies and really help ask the questions, be with the person, and get the information that second set of ears is so helpful. I want to thank that, our that's speakers. A, that's a good, oh, excuse me, just one yes. quick thing about that. That's a good point, but if it is set up by your doctor's office, often that individual has to have a link or the address to get into that call or else they will be excluded for privacy and confidentiality reasons. Excellent. Excellent point. Thank you. So that indeed, if it is a long, in other words, if there's a long distance caregiver who hasn't yet gotten that permission to be um, uh, from the HIPAA compliance, then that needs to be done before. But then that, once that's done, it's, it opens up the ability of a long distance caregiver to be much more involved. So, but thank you for that, Dr. Fleischman. Thanks. Well, I have to say, this has been an amazing call and wonderful, wonderful speakers. And indeed, we could go on, um, of course for at least an hour more, because we have many more questions in queue. But we said this would be an hour program, and so it is. Um, so I want to thank our speakers. You've been phenomenal. I want to thank all of our participants who really asked such great questions online, and those questions really helped to enhance the call today. Um, and I do want to just review with all of you um, all the services that you can access. Uh, we have partnered with the CLL Society, so that's a wonderful organization, of course, to contact. We also do not want to sidestep in any way your healthcare team. They know everything about you, so that's a wonderful resource. Um, and a uh, wonderful resource um, from the CLL Society for that second opinion, um, a special access program that is amazing um, to have set up as well. And for those of you who wish to pursue services from Cancer Care, you can simply call Cancer Care or visit our website, and one of our oncology social workers will be happy to help you and to really provide you with a range of services, whether it be financial assistance, practical assistance, counseling services, um, you know, help in talking with your children about your cancer, help in talking about COVID-19 and how and some of the guidelines and social distancing, all the issues that people are struggling with, of course, um, our oncology social workers are happy to assist you with and just really how you feel in coping with CLL at this time. So um, again, I want to thank you all for your participation today. I also want to wish you a very fine day and thank you all for being on this call. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a wonderful day.